Today's podcast is brought to you by collegehockeyinsider.com. College Hockey Insider is something I've been running since March, and in five months, we've published 78 newsletters. Think about it. It's the summer. There's not a lot going on. And our subscribers have still been getting a newsletter delivered to their inbox about every other day on average. Our newsletters are jam-packed with everything you need to know as a college hockey fan. You will not miss an ounce of news. We summarize it all, and we put it in one place. And on top of that, I'll tell you why it's important and what it could mean for the future. We've also broken about a dozen stories, some of which, like a few coach hirings, our subscribers knew about a week before it was even announced. Every issue also has a subscriber mailbag section where I answer your questions. Uh, And we also, in every edition, highlight all the latest commitments in college hockey. Subscriptions start at just $5.83 per month if you subscribe for the whole year. And again, you can subscribe by going to collegehockeyinsider.com today. Hey, if nothing else, I stuck to my word, right? I remember when I launched this podcast back in March, I said uh, not to expect an episode every week. I I didn't know what the schedule was going to be. I didn't know how often we'd be able to line up guests. But I remember saying, you know, it would be kind of sporadic when episodes would drop. One day you'll wake up, you'll open your phone, and bam, you got a new podcast, and you're going to be excited about it. But uh, I I did do two episodes in March, both in the same week, too, by the way, like within three days of each other. Uh, And then I took five and a half months off. So, (laughs) but we're back now. Hey, I lived up to my word. They didn't come every week. Now they're going to come a little more frequent, though. Uh, We're going to get back into this and start producing more regular podcasts, whether it's every week or every 10 days or every 11 days. I don't really know. Uh, But you're going to see a lot more coming uh, with a little more frequency than you have over the last five months. But, hey, there's been a lot going on. We were covering the tournament. The tournament ended, and then there was Transfer Portal Madness. And then the transfer portal madness ended, and it was kind of the summer, but there were coaching changes and things happening. There was a lot going on. Uh, But there's going to be even more going on because we're going to have a lot of uh, conference previews to do as we get going. We've already previewed some. I'm I'm in the middle of previewing every team in the nation uh, on College Hockey Insider, starting with the NCHC. And I believe I've I've done Colorado College, Miami, Western Michigan, in Minnesota Duluth, and I've got another one that I'm almost done with that are coming out uh, very shortly, maybe even today. I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, before we get to our guest, who is Kathy Bethard from the Save Seawolf Hockey Foundation, I do want to touch on a couple of new stories before we get to Kathy, uh, one of which, actually, let's start with Alaska Anchorage because we talk about it in the interview, but there's good news out of Alaska Anchorage. They've got to raise, uh, they've got to hit their fundraising goal, which is $3 million by the end of this month. I think it's August 31st. But signs are pointing that they're going to get there. And not only are they going to get there, but when you listen to our interview with Kathy, she talked about, you know, they've already, they're starting to make plans for not only, okay, now that we've saved it, how do we sustain it? And there's there's a lot of things going on there. There's about three hundred or 400000 left before they hit their goal, but the university uh, is on board in, not only are they planning to hit their goal, they're planning to move forward. One of the big things was when Matt Curley resigned as head coach in June to take the head coaching job with the Des Moines Buccaneers in the USHL, the school said it was not going to actively search for a new coach unless the program was going to be saved. Well, the school posted the job, 
a few weeks ago, uh, and the athletic director said that he has at least 20 applicants. So the school, that's a big thing. The school's not going to post a job unless they had a pretty good feeling that they were going to have a program. Uh, Greg Myford, the athletic director at UAA, said to the Alaska Daily News, quote, we will be reinstated. I'm sure of it because we will make the $3 million. We may be short on August 31st, but we will have a plan forward as far as what the ne- where the next step is coming from. The Alaska Board of Regents is going to meet on September 9th, I believe it is, or 9th and 10th, or 8th and 9th. Uh, and that's ultimately when the final fate of the program is going to be decided. But there's a lot of positivity coming out of the Save Seawolf Hockey Foundation. They've done a ton. I mean, they've almost raised $3 million in a year during a pandemic when, by the way, UAA didn't play last year. So anything, they were going to play last year. Last year was supposed to be the last year of the program. So any money that they could have raised doing 50-50s at games or just general fundraising at games, they couldn't do because they didn't play. But they've done a tremendous amount of work to raise the $3 million to save the program. The exciting part about it, though, is that's not the end goal. And you're going to hear about that coming up in a little bit. They've got a lot of plans in place to help sustain the program long term. And it's just the involvement of the community and the involvement of of, uh, the Seattle Kraken. I mean, they've done such a great job to pull a community together. a community that's that's stretched far beyond just Anchorage. Really, that whole northwest corner of the country has pulled together to to raise the funds and raise awareness to to save the program. It's it's been quite a thing to watch, and uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for what it's going to mean for the future. Hopefully, hopefully, the rest of college hockey is listening. Uh, we can get a Western Conference League in the future. That would be great, right? Whether it's the Alaska schools. Uh, Arizona State, maybe a couple of Pac-12 schools. Looking at you, Los Angeles-based universities and maybe some of those big ones up in the Northwest, Stanford, Washington, Oregon. (laughs) A lot of places that seem like they're tailor-made for college hockey. Uh, Anyway, we talk a lot about that coming up uh, with Kathy Bethard, who's uh, who founded the Save Seawolf Hockey Foundation, and she tells a whole story about how it started and uh, what push them forward and how they've gotten to this point 11 days from when they have to hit their goal and only a couple hundred thousand dollars short uh, and again if you want to you're going to hear this in the interview but if you want to donate you can do so by going to save seawolfhockey.com to make a contribution uh, other news coming out of the nchc western michigan they got a new head coach well they also have a new assistant coach Former UMD assistant Jason Herter is going to join the staff. Herter left the Bulldogs at the end of the 2020 season uh, to pursue other opportunities in hockey. And at the time, I remember at the time, there was a lot of speculation that he was targeting a scouting job uh, in the NHL. Uh, But he's headed back to college hockey with Western Michigan. And it's really, it's amazing to me that Jason Herter has not had the opportunity to be a head coach yet of an NCAA program. Uh, He was rumored to be in the mix, I think, with a couple of USHL jobs this offseason too, but he was such an integral part of the success at Duluth, along obviously with Scott Sandel and Brett Larson. Now, Larson obviously got a head job with St. Cloud, but it's been really surprising to me that Jason Herter never never got one for whatever reason. Uh, but he's going to do a great job at Western Michigan. I mean, no offense to, to Andy Murray, but I'm really excited 
Uh, if you're a Western Michigan fan, you got to be really excited about what that staff looks like now and what they could do uh, in the future because it's a really, really good coaching staff. Really good league. It's going to be a lot of competition, but a really good coaching staff. Uh, kind of along the same lines as Alaska Anchorage, Robert Morris announced its Hockey is the Goal campaign today. Uh, that's going to aim to continue the fundraising uh, needed to reinstate the hockey programs there. Uh, they are taking support through an online platform. I've got links on the website. I'll put links in the podcast description here as well. Uh, and they're also starting to sell season tickets for the 2022-23 season. So if you want to purchase tickets, uh, if you're in that area, you can do so uh for the 2022-23 season when they are anticipating being reinstated. Uh, Other news, there's a lot. I told you, speaking of Robert Morris, uh, one of their former assistants, Mike Corbett, was hired as an assistant coach at Quinnipiac earlier in the offseason. Well, Ryan DeRocher, who was also on Derek Schooley's staff, he is set to become the next assistant coach at Sacred Heart under under C.J. Martolo. Uh, DeRocher spent the last couple of seasons at Robert Morris and then – uh, I believe before that he was with St. Lawrence for a little bit. He was with the Binghamton Devils in the AHL for a year. I think he was also with Sioux City in the USHL for a couple of seasons as well. So he's got a lot of experience. It's not it's not set in stone yet, uh, but all indications are that Ryan DeRoche is going to be the next head coach at Sacred Heart to round out that staff. Uh, there's been a lot of coaching moves this summer. Not really so much with head coaches, but as always, I mean, there's assistant moves every single year and uh, this year has been no different so a lot of movement among assistant coaches especially too with some teams folding or, or pausing what have you and coaches looking for new jobs the biggest story of the week is probably michigan defenseman owen power returning to the program for his sophomore year the buffalo news first reported that yesterday power of course was the number one selection at the NHL draft last month by the Buffalo Sabres, uh, but he's going to return to school. And this has been rumored even before the draft that he was probably going to return to Michigan for a sophomore year. And so, so I guess in that sense, it shouldn't be described as a big surprise because a lot of people expected this or, or knew that Power was more than likely going to return to Michigan for a sophomore year. But I find it really impressive because he's done his own thing from the very beginning. He's not conventional wisdom is not necessarily the right way to put it, but he's not uh, caving to the traditional pressure, I guess. Because it's not the first time that he's kind of carved his own path. Remember last November, I think it was, or October, he opted not to join Team Canada for the World Juniors because of the long quarantine and training camp. It would have taken too much time away from Michigan. He didn't want to leave his college team, so he didn't participate for, and they, he didn't partake in Team Canada's training camp for the World Juniors. A lot of people, especially in Canada, kind of mocked him for that decision, but he didn't care. He did what he wanted to do and what he thought was best for him. And now, I think when a lot of people believe he's ready to step into the NHL right away, I mean, he's six foot six. he's huge. He played really well at the World Championships against a lot of NHL players. He could step into the NHL and play a role right away. I don't know that he would be a top four defenseman or a top pair defenseman as a rookie, but he could step in and play a role right away. Instead, he's opted to refine his game one more season in college, and it's not a bad decision. I mean, Michigan's going to be one of the best teams in the country, at least on paper. They've got some unfinished business. I mean, remember the way their season ended? They were in the NCAA tournament, 
had a positive COVID test, and out they went. <laughs> they weren't. They didn't lose a game. They were eliminated because of a COVID test. So he's got some unfinished business there. And not only that, but look, he's going to get better. You know, Kel McCarr, I, mean, I, I, I go back to Kel McCarr. Kel McCarr came in and lit the NHL on fire once he finally signed with the Colorado Avalanche. But would he have done that if he had signed the offseason before instead of coming back for his, his sophomore year? I don't think so. I mean, he would have played. He would have been on the roster. But would he have made an immediate impact the way that he did if he didn't wait that extra year? There, there's so many examples. I don't think it's going to hurt him. That, that's the biggest thing because there's so many examples of guys who have waited an extra year and then have stepped into a role in the National Hockey League and not only played right away but been an important player, made an, an impact on their team right away. I don't think – I mean, I can't think of anybody who has ever said, oh, I stayed one year too late. You hear guys all the time say, oh, I left one year too early. <laughs> I can't remember ever hearing somebody go, I stayed one year too late. I really should have started one year earlier. I mean, there's so many examples. McCarr, to me, is just like the most obvious recent one. But, I mean, look at Johnny Gaudreau. There was, and he was even a smaller player who definitely needed, I think, the extra time in college and, and the time that the college hockey schedule allows for weight training and things of that nature. But Johnny Gaudreau stepped right into the Calgary Flames lineup. I mean, that he did it the end of that season when he signed after BC was eliminated. It was right away. He was contributing right away. Cole Caulfield this year, again, another small guy. Right away. Right away. So I don't think anybody has ever stayed too long. So Power coming back, I mean, he's going to have a monster year. He was the best freshman in college hockey this past year. He's going to have a monster year with Michigan in a what's finally going to be a full season again a team that many are projecting could win a national championship or or at least be in the Frozen Four, definitely be one of the top teams in the country. He's going to be an absolute monster. And then whenever that Michigan season ends, whether it's the middle of April in Boston at the Frozen Four or whether it's uh, things don't go their way and it's the end of March, whenever it ends, he's going to sign with the Buffalo Sabres and he's going to make an immediate impact on their lineup because he's going to be ready to do it. He's almost ready to do it now. He's going to be really ready to do it after another season at Michigan, I think. So that's all the big news. Again, you can check out all of the latest news. There's a lot more that that we've reacted to and talked about uh, over at collegehockeyinsider.com. So again, you can subscribe there and get access to all of our newsletters. They get delivered right to your inbox. If you don't like reading things in your email for whatever reason and you instead want to read them on the website, you can go to collegehockeyinsider.com. Log into your account, and they're all right there. All 78 newsletters are currently sitting on the website as I speak, uh, and that's access to our archives. And, of course, you don't even need to go to the website. That's the beauty of it. You don't even need to go to the website. If you subscribe, the emails just they show up, boom, full post, right in your inbox. No, no need to click anything. Everything's right there for you. When you're done, you can forward the email to somebody. Don't do that all the time, but every once in a while it's going to be okay. Uh, You can delete it, you can archive it, you can keep it and read it again later. I really don't care. (laughs) But you'll get all of the newsletters delivered right to your inbox. So again, check that out at collegehockeyinsider.com. Now, let's get to Kathy Bethard, who is the founder of Save Seawolf Hockey. She has a lot 
to talk about as the organization is reaching its goal, very much nearing its goal, of raising $3 million by the end of August to reinstate the Alaska Anchorage hockey programs. All right, I'm very excited to be joined by Kathy Bether from the Save Seawolf Hockey Foundation. They are, are driving to the finish line a couple of days, or oh, just a little over a week left uh, to hit their fundraising goal to try to reinstate the program at Alaska Anchorage. Kathy, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate this. Well, thank you for your time. We appreciate it as well. So I, I, I want to get, I want to talk about the whole story because I, I was reading, actually, if people haven't seen it, there's a, a great story on on you and the effort in the Seattle Times that I read. I think the New York Times also did a story. Um, but take me back, if you could, to, to the very beginning when the school announced, hey, they, they were cutting, well, it wasn't just men's hockey, it was multiple sports. Uh, and then this Save Seawolf Hockey Foundation got put together relatively quickly. Uh, can you tell me just kind of the backstory on, on how that the whole process started to get the wheels in motion, to get the foundation set up, and and just the whole uh, why it formed and, and how <laughs> the effort behind getting it formed as quickly as you guys did? Well, we didn't have much choice, right? Um, we were given basically two hours' notice um, prior to um, then-Chancellor Sandine announcing she was going to cut all winter sports from UAA budget. So that included women's gymnastics, um, men and women's downhill skiing, and ice hockey. Uh, It was like astonishing to us because none of the three sports had any idea that that was going to happen. The coaches were given less than two hours to inform their student athletes before um, this hit the, the media. And as you know, as soon as it hits any type of media anymore um, with uh, all of the social media going on, it spreads like wildfire. So what an unfortunate way for an athlete to find out that, you know, where he committed his next four years of life or her next four years of life, you know, that, that program was going away. Um, Not this year, but you know, the, the following year. And um, I, I have been a longtime civil supporter, um, was a, on the original board um, when we founded um, our first booster club back 42 years ago with hockey. And um, <laughs> I just I couldn't believe um, what was happening and, and that we didn't get any prior notice or, um, you know, even asking us wh- what we could do to help the program. So my phone started ringing just because, you know, people knew of my involvement. And I reached out to a few longtime supporters as well. Chuck Homan, Terry Homan, who've been with the program for 42 years. Chuck was our founding father. Um, Frank Nosak, who's um, an attorney who helped us write our bylaws. Um, Paul Bates. um, And then several alumni um, that were active uh, in the area and said, hey, we can't let this happen. So we... um, formed uh, a write-in campaign, so to speak. Um, The Board of Regents has to approve what the Chancellor said. So we got on their agenda for um, the next Board of Regents meeting. We um, emailed, I don't know how many hundreds of emails on the Board of Regents told us that they received um, in support of saving these programs and keeping them alive, you know, mentioning the importance of athletics to any collegiate experience, you know, to a a student experience. uh, And, and, the good that we bring to um, any type of university. So luckily um, the board of regents listened and um, they came up with a plan. They said, well, if you can raise all three of you sports can raise two years worth of operating income within the next, they gave us five months. um, You'll be reinstated. 
Well, for hockey, it was $3 million, which is um, a pretty big um, <laughs> amount to swallow yeah, in sure. one fell swoop, yeah. certainly. Um, uh, skiing had the smallest amount and gymnastics next, and skiing reached their their um, goal pretty quickly because of some large contributions from um, uh, the Colorado area, um, downhill skiing areas. So they uh, they reached their goal quickly. Gymnastics and hockey um, were still, um, you know, working to do that. And as soon as, you know, the Board of Regents granted us that um, um, lifeline, so to speak, we uh, we formed uh, an LLC. We decided that was the way to go. Um, we named ourselves Say Seawell Hockey and started a uh, grassroots campaign. We started emailing um, prior uh, booster club members, um, alumni, parents of alumni. Um, started um, what we thought was going to be a, a split the pot that we could run during um, during the games um, that were still going to be allowed to be played. And then um, COVID hit. So our idea of, you know, fundraising during our hockey games, um, during any of our athletic events vanished. Um, so we, we couldn't do indoor events, but yet we still thought the team was going to be allowed to play. Um, just spectators could not participate. Well, uh, a bit after that, when we had many of our plans sent and even had the, the streaming events set up and announcer you know, scheduled video guys, scheduled, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the chancellor came back and said, hockey, uh, the winter sports would not be allowed to participate at all. So another huge blow to us that any, you know, in-person type of events that we were going to have, you know, were nixed. Um, we weren't going to play, even though the WCHA continued to play, we were not allowed to play. Um that, you know, sent us into a tailspin for about a week, but we recovered nicely um, and came up with the fact that we can go ahead and run a virtual um, split the pot, you know, and do it um, virtually all online. Same way with a, an online auction. Um, we started other, um, you know, grassroots efforts, reaching out to different groups of people, asking them for help and support. And we were actually amazed at the um, amount of support that was coming in um, through that gra grassroots effort. Um, I don't know if <laughs> we just kept building and building upon sure. our success, um, put our website out there, um, which I think is um, really informative. Um, Chris Holman has done an awesome job on that. And then we started publicizing on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and um, started realizing uh, the effects of our social media. And Heidi Emily was, she's, awesome at doing that type of thing and got us, you know, a lot of, um, uh, viewing, uh, I don't know how to say that, but <laughs> a lot of views, um, on any of that social media and, um, people, people were listening. They were, they were, um, starting to take notice. We, you know, our first 500,000 was a huge goal to reach. And then our first million, another huge goal to meet. And we were nearing, um, you know, that, past a million dollar mark. I think we're at a million two when um, the February date um, was looming in front of us. At that point in time, we were running a, a, an outdoor um, youth hockey tournament called the Sea Wolf Sea Pup Hockey Tournament. And um, Kirk Holberg did an awesome job of getting that filled. We had over 60 teams participating on two rinks outside 
And during that same time, we blocked out a time to have our annual UAA, UAF alumni game outdoors. And we live streamed oh, that cool. on Facebook with, with our announcers. And um, again, that garnered a lot of attention. Um, in fact, right before that tournament, um, an organization called the Seventh Man contacted us and um, their, um, their organizer wrote us a very nice check, but also had um, the Seventh Man group send us all kinds of swag, sweatshirts, um, hats, um, uh, bags, um, all kinds of um, swag that we could give to the participants of the Sea Wolf or Sea Pup hockey tournament. And so these kids were just astounded, you know, that they're getting the Seventh Man stuff from the Seattle Kraken. And um, that was, you know, kind of the, the start of the uptick um, with um, – the Kraken, um, we had a, a meeting with uh, that Jason Matrokin from Vista Bay organized um, the Tuesday after that event. Uh, and I met with uh, Todd Lewicki um, from the Seattle Kraken and was basically blown away by his offer of support and um, not only financial support from the owner group, but um, advice support, um, helping us do um, advertising and, and kind of guiding us um, as to where to go next. Our next hurdle was we had to um, go back to the Board of Regents and ask for an extension because we were not going to reach $3 million, especially during COVID times um, by February 15th. So, again, we, um, we did our best to um, uh, get the word out, and, and somehow our efforts won over um, the president of the university, um, Pat Pitney, who is um, acting president or interim president, but um, she um, was in total support of our effort, as was the act acting chancellor at that time, uh, Chancellor Schultz. They both went to the Board of Regents on our behalf, um, as we did, and um, the board voted unanimously to give us an extension until August 31st to, uh, to raise that $3 million, which was um, a tremendous relief for us, certainly. And since then, we've had um, all types of uh, grassroots fundraising efforts. We've held um, youth hockey clinics um, in our name. We've had a couple of those go on. We've had a, a major golf tournament um, that was uh, amazingly successful, and we, we raised over $36,000 at that one event. And then we started um, a corporate campaign um, with um, the help of um, – uh, the Bristol Bay president, um, Jason Matrokin and Joe Shearhorn, who's president and CEO of uh, a bank here in town, Northern Bank, and Todd Lewicki. And, and we started a, a campaign to finally reach our larger corporations within Alaska. And we really hadn't even touched on them yet. We've submitted grants and had a few um, corporations give us money, but Nothing like started to come in once we started that corporate campaign. And that's actually kind of driving that last part of our, our, our fundraising efforts. Um, but I will say that uh, um, we, we cut a, a PSA video um, for our Drive for Five. Um, and, and those words actually came from Todd Lewicki was the one who thought of that, that moniker. And um, it's, um, it's really taken off and um, helped us a great deal. And this last, I'm going to say month, we've seen um, almost an uptick of $150,000, $200,000 come in wow. um, to our coffers. So 
we keep inching inching closer to that three million dollar goal. Um, we we may not be solidly there by um, the 31st of August, but um, we're sure hoping to get as close close to that as you know that they'll count that we made it type of thing. And we'll still have until um, the Board of Regents meeting is actually September 8th and 9th, and we'll have another week beyond that 31st to to inch even closer. So that's the whole story. Sorry. <laughs> no, that, that's great. I mean, it's funny how timing sometimes just works out, right? I mean, to to have to, to have have this type of obstacle in front of you, where you're looking ahead, going, "How how are we going to raise all this money?" And then to have the crack in as an organization forming at the same time, and their ownership group and the Lewickies wanting to be a part of it, and wanting to help. I mean, it's just it's 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 kind of funny sometimes how how the timing just ends up being perfect. I mean, in the sense that when you have this obstacle in front of you, there's a resource that five years ago, the the Seattle Kraken didn't exist. (laughs) Uh, But now, you know, when you need to lean on that resource, it ends up being there. Yeah, that is pretty incredible, actually. I, you know, I just keep looking back over the whole journey. And um, although it's, you know, been exhausting, um, it's been inspiring as well. I wanted to talk. I was reading the Seattle Times story actually this morning uh, as we were emailing back and forth setting this up, and uh, I think it said, uh, "I believe you're from California, right?" And your husband was from Oklahoma, or is it flip flopped? I have that. Um, he he was born in Oklahoma. Okay. Um, I was born in in California. He his family immigrated, should I say, to uh, <laughs> to California when he was um, probably five or six. But uh, we met. Yeah, we're both from California, actually. How? Uh... And then I was reading the story. You moved. You moved to Alaska. You relocate to Alaska. And then, how did you first get involved with the with the hockey with the hockey program there? I mean, was it just something that you you kind of stumbled into once you moved, or, or was were you hockey fans when you were, were living in California? How did you first get involved with the program? I'd never seen a hockey pro, a hockey game until <laughs> uh, until we moved here. Um, we had my husband's uh, best friend up here. Um, he he worked in the banking industry along with my husband. Uh, he was very involved in um, Anchorage Hockey Association, and um, his son was playing, and so we'd go watch his son play, and then he, you know, kind of cornered us into getting our oldest, you know, started at the age of four, and um, it was, um, you know, love at first sight, I guess. I, I love sports, and um, uh, it was a fast-moving sport that um, made a lot of sense to me, so, um, and I'm kind of... I, I like to give back to whatever um, I feel is helping my family or my community. And uh, I could do that with hockey. Um, Grant was um, president and he goes, don't you think you could, you know, do this or do that? And then <laughs> he was also involved with um, the um, the start of UAA hockey and, you know, they, they needed help there. And so I said, sure, I, you know, I can do that. And it, it just moved on from there. Um, I like to stay involved and um, like to help out. And I, I hope I pass that on to my family. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I mean, obviously there's plenty of help going on now. And you guys, are, you're inching closer. I know if my math is correct, 300,000 and change or so away from the goal that's, that's coming up at the end of the month. But uh, uh, there seems to be a lot of indications, especially this week. I was actually encouraged to read, uh, I think it was in the old, was one of the newspapers. I forget where exactly I saw it, but they, they've posted the job for the head coach position, which is obviously a positive sign. And I think there were some comments from the athletic director uh, where he said, you know, it looks like we're going to be, 
where we need to be or, or if we're not exactly where we need to be by the 30th or the 31st, there's going to be a plan in place to kind of get us there. I, there still is some work to be done over the last 11 days here, but how encouraged are you by, by some of the signs that are starting to pointing towards, you know, you're not at the finish line yet, but it certainly looks like you're, you're hopefully going to get there. <laughs> uh, we will get there. Um, I have no doubt that we'll be able to raise the, the $3 million. We're, you know, we're committed to that. And um, I, I tell people, I don't like to lose. And, you know, we're going to win this battle. Um, we're going to raise the $3 million. Um, You know, we'll be as close as we can be to that $3 million mark um, by the deadline. And, you know, it's not that we haven't done everything possible um, that we could do to get there. Um, it's just been, you know, as you know, a trying time to um, to try and raise money. People are still coming out of that pandemic uh, downturn and, you know, they're not um, as flush as perhaps they were, you know, two or three years ago. So it's been tough, but we are going to get there and we do have a plan forward. And, and I'm encouraged uh, by the support of the athletic department and by the support of our new chancellor. Um, chancellor Parnell has stepped up big time to help us. I mean, he's actually participating in some of our our uh, fundraising calls, you know, letting folks know that the university is squarely behind our effort and squarely behind the University of Alaska hockey team, that we're going to support it long-term, not just short-term. And we have a plan in place where we have a, an advisory council that's working with the athletic department um, to um, actually um, oversee that, that uh, hockey portion of the athletic department. And we also have a memorandum of understanding that's been signed between us, our organization, and the University of Alaska, stating who's going to do what in the future, how we're going to handle this relationship, and how we're going to keep this program viable from here on out so we don't end up in the same position we were in uh, a year ago. Yeah, I was gonna, that was actually going to be my next question was, you know, how much has there been a vision towards, okay, once – once you hit the fundraising goal, then what? Because obviously, like you said, there needs to be a plan in place and, and there needs to be uh, just just a plan. I, I think my Muncie Athletic Department to know, okay, this is how we're going to move forward. Uh, it's not just about – it is about raising the money, obviously, but it's not just about that, right? I mean, there needs to be a, a plan in place to make the program as viable uh, as it can be over the long term, whether that's finding a conference, finding a, a coach, and, and all that stuff. I mean, there's – there's still work to be done even after the 31st, but I mean, the, the biggest part of uh, of the work uh, certainly needs to just cross that finish line over the next 11 days. Well, um, you can say that, that, you know, this has been a tremendous effort, but um, I'm going to add that the ongoing effort is going to be even greater because, um, you know, we have to come up with a whole new program, right? We yeah. have to hire a coach. We have to develop a schedule. We have to um, find a place to play. We have to help develop a league on this West Coast so that we, Fairbanks, um, uh, Alabama, Huntsville, um, any of the other independents, you know, um, maybe end up with a conference that's truly West Coast. Um, um, that's going to be pretty heavy lifting, too. And we do have that plan in place. I mean, we've got the, the start of that plan, certainly Right now, we're working on a new organization that will um, take over from Safe Seawolf Hockey after we've saved it. Of course, we have to um, continue it. So uh, mm -hmm. we're going to have a, a Seawolf Hockey Alliance formed that um, is going to help and work collaboratively with the university 
to keep that program alive and vibrant. A West Coast league just seems like it makes so much sense between the two Alaska schools and Arizona State, and like you said, Alabama, Huntsville, and then there's just so many schools on the West Coast that seem like they're primed for hockey, whether it's in Washington or Oregon or, or the northern part of California. And I'm, I'm kind of hoping, I mean, not to bring it back to the Kraken again, but I'm kind of hoping once, once those northwestern states kind of get NHL hockey in their lives that maybe you see a couple of schools spawn a new program. And, and if it's in that area now, I mean, just like, like you said, it makes sense to have a western-based league here at some point. Oh, absolutely. That's what, um, that's, that's my uh, dream is to um, form that new, truly <laughs> West <Yeah>. Coast hockey <laughs> association. And, and we had a fundraising event um, in the Seattle area hosted by the Kraken um, about a month and some days ago. And I was really taken back by the, um, the yearning, I think, of the Seattle people for uh, collegiate hockey in that area. Um, a lot of them are transplants from the Midwest, um, from the East Coast, from you know everywhere, and and they have hockey ties, and they love that excitement that surrounds collegiate athletics and collegiate hockey in specific. So, um, I I think it's a matter of time. I think the Kraken are the are is the um, NHL team that's going to put that over the top and finally um, ignite uh, L.A., uh, San Jose, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, Las Vegas, you know, to um, for those club teams um, to finally say, hey, you know, we're going to step it up. We want to be D1 too. <laughs> so I'm hoping that they do, and, and I think that they've got the right leadership in place in that organization to um, make that a reality. Well, obviously, obviously, if people want to contribute, they can do so by going to SaveSeawolfHockey.com. Is there any other places that people can go, or is there anything else that uh, people should know uh, other than the website as far as if they wanted to contribute? Sure. Um, you can text UAA Hockey to 41444, and that's good anywhere in the United States or Canada. Great. Pretty easy to do. That's a, a direct contribution, credit card type of contribution to Say Seawolf Hockey. If you go to our website at saysewolfhockey.com, um, we're also on Twitter and Facebook with the same handle. Um, you can get to our pledge sheet. Um, you can either pledge or make a direct donation or do both. And what we've been pushing all along is that do both. So give something now and pledge something for the future because that's what's going to keep this program alive. Those pledges moving out to year three, year four, year five. Awesome. Well, you can, again, you can text UAA Hockey to 41444, uh, or you can go to uh, or go or do both. Do both. That, that's probably the best way to do it. Uh, Kathy, <laughs> th- thanks again for, for setting this up so quickly and for taking some time. And uh, best of luck over here the next 11 days uh, until you guys <laughs> get to the end of the month. And, and uh, best of luck. Th- thanks again. I really appreciate it. Well, no, thank you for your time and efforts as well.